Morning Church. Steve, could you put up the um, holy there is no one like you, that refrain? Um, because this is, um, that refrain is basically what I'm going to be preaching on, actually. Um, unknown to Jenny, um, so it very well, very, very well aligned. Holy there is no one like you, no one beside you, fill my uh, eyes with wonder. So if you, you know, do, for whatever reason, get distracted, start to lose track of where I'm, where I'm going, and someone asks you midweek, what did Matt preach about? You can just say that, and you're good. Because hopefully what, I'm getting, what we can get across just in the, in the time that we have of the holiness of, uh, the holiness, there is no one like, there is no one like you fit, how we can have a renewed, awesome perspective of some of the things that Jesus did and, a, and, an, and an impartation of his heart to fill us uh, in uh, his, his love that we can impart to those around us. So I want to start with a with a story um, of a um, of a lady, a particular lady uh, called Michelle, and I worked with Michelle and actually for Michelle in her sort of global team for a number of years. It was about two hundred and fifty people, um, different experiences, level of kind of seniority, quite quite varied, and quite quickly you realised that Michelle was a very effective leader. She was fantastic at gathering this wide range of people globally under a particular vision and a mission and just encapturing and motivating, actually inspiring that group of people. And she was so personable. She really did take an interest in you as, a, as an individual. Uh, she, she had a great memory, so remembered stuff personally about you, but also kind of professionally what you, were, what, what, what you were doing. And, you know, sort of the advice that she gave whenever you had time with her, you know, it wasn't <coughs> platitudes or cliches. It was really specific, really wise and tailored and personable to, to you. And she was such a, a generous woman. She had such a generous spirit. Um, you know, she, would, she wouldn't mind travelling and, 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 you know, she really put a priority on being there back in the days when we did travel quite a bit more in being face to face. If anything important was going on, you know, in the UK or in Europe, she would be there and, and wanting to be there, encouraging, motivating a good sounding board. She would be generous with her time. And, and every Christmas, she would have a big Christmas party in her house. She lived just outside of New York and and that house seriously I think it must have been built after the film Home Alone because it is literally an exact replica whoever built it I think I must have said I just want that just literally even the colors of the the brick she loved Christmas she had one year 22 Christmas trees in her house and a big you know loved Christmas and and what wasn't a surprise was fairly early on was it was no surprise at all to find out in one of the conversations that I had with her that she was a Christian, that she had um, a strong faith in Christ, to live in a relationship with Jesus. That you know she wasn't you know she wasn't you know going out of town sort of from the rooftops, but you know if she was always open if you talk, wanted to talk to her about her faith and about your faith and have that type of conversation. But what was a surprise? was at a point in time it was shared that Michelle was going to be taking some sort of significant time off 
because she had for the last 18 months been suffering and fighting um, quite an aggressive form of cancer. And in the initial kind of, you know, quite shock, because it was complete surprise, there was obviously a great affection, a mutual affection for this woman. And that, you know, great wishes and prayers, of course, that, you know, her, her, you know, that her, her, her battle would go well. But as we, as colleagues, would start to speak, you'd start to sort of think back over the last 18 months and had a renewed just sense of awe, really, of all of the things that Michelle had done, the, the, the travel, the relationships, the engagement, the, the motivation, the encouragement, the, the, the gathering of people. You just had a renewed sense of awe that she, was, she did all of that in the midst of being a very private battle that no one knew anything about, that she was able to do all of that in midst a very... Uh, very difficult battle with an aggressive form of cancer. So it just left us in even more awe of, of what she did. And there's that well-known phrase that, you know, everyone that we meet is, is really, to a lesser or greater degree, fighting a battle that you know nothing about. And I do find it, you know, it, it is quite a, a, a needed perspective, especially when you are, you know, coming alongside people, whether in friendship or whether in, uh, you know, more of a support function or as we've been looking at over the last few weeks as we are disciples, making disciples. When you're coming alongside people, you don't really know perhaps the full story, the whole picture. And you can start to think, well, why do they still behave that way or act that way or make those decisions or still seem <coughs> quite unreliable or quite flaky and, 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 and difficult to pin down and it feels a bit like one step forward, two steps back. And, in, and it can be difficult when we don't really, for many people that we interact with, know that full story and full picture of what exactly they are going through or have had gone through in, in recent times. And even for ourselves then, how can we in our own individual, perhaps, things that are seen and unseen to many battles and challenges, with perhaps our own fawn in our side, still be good to people, serve people well? How can we have three distinct things? How can we have a capacity for compassion, still have that capacity for compassion? How can we still have an expectancy for God to move. But how can we still have a healthy sense of boundaries for ourselves? So how can we, in unseen and seen battles and challenges, have a capacity for compassion for others, an expectancy for God to move, and a sense of boundaries still for ourselves? Now, I could go on and, and speak about, you know, specifics of Michelle but by her own omission she was you know definitely not perfect so let's look at the only human life that was and I want to take a look at, at a bit of a, an, a high level view of three chapters in Matthew Matthew 12 Matthew 13 and Matthew 14 now it's not something that we we commonly do but you know it, it is useful just to sometimes get a sense of you know, that wider context, how can we get that fuller picture of some of Jesus' events and ministries that we read about, how they do kind of bleed into one another, that what was, what was kind of going in and on around particular times and events. And two particular events 
that are very well known in Matthew 14 and told in other parts of the, of the Gospels around Jesus feeding the 5,000 and Jesus walking on water. That in isolation, we, can, we read and we have read and we've heard and we've heard preachers about our, our awesome accounts of, of, of Christ's compassion, Christ's expectancy for God to move, Christ's command and authority over, over nature. But I hope, just as we sang that song of feeling, you know, our eyes being more in wonder, more in awe, that when we start to explore sort of the events and the context and what kind of led up to those two particular events, that we're even more, just as we were as colleagues with Michelle, even more in, in awe and appreciation and wonder of what Jesus did, the actions and decisions that he made. Because we read in, in Matthew 12... A continual uh, attack by the Pharisees. The Pharisees, the religious order of the day, are continually attacking Christ in his actions, his behaviours around sort of on on the Sabbath. They start to uh, they start to attack him by saying, "You're doing the work of Satan. You know your power and what you're doing actually isn't coming from 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 Yahweh. It's coming from 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 Satan." And you start to see the 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 beginnings of them actually discussing a solution here, a plot to kill Jesus. And then we read at the end of of, of Matthew. 12, that Jesus' mother Mary and his brothers wait, are waiting outside for him. And it's quite a short, short, short passage just at the end of Matthew 12. Um, and we know from, you know, we can, we can see in Mark chapter 3 that the reason why they're outside is because they want to take charge of Jesus They've been hearing what Jesus has been saying, and it says in Mark chapter 3, he's out, they think he's out of his mind. His family think he's out of his mind, and they want to take charge of him and bring him, bring him back home and perhaps lock him, lock him away. And Jesus, at that time, and it must have been difficult, you know, under, appreciating that his, what he's saying, what he's doing is, is landing and being interpreted by his family as, as madness and they want to sort of take charge of him and stop, stop him spouting in their minds kind of, you know, this, this, some of this crazy talk. But he clearly makes a decision, clearly demonstrates that those familial, those family relationships come under the priority that he has from God. Kingdom building priority trumps those family relationships. Easy for me to say, but you know, in Christ's human nature, that must have been difficult. And we and we read, you know, straight after that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Just that verse, sat by the lake. You can start to imagine what are the thoughts going through Jesus? He's sitting by the lake with that quite quite difficult circumstance that's just happened with him and his mother and his brothers. But very soon, large crowds gather around him and he gets into his boat and people stood on the shore. And in pretty much most of chapter 13 is, is him teaching, him imparting, him giving of himself. Going to that shore, sitting, sitting on the shore, perhaps wanting to reflect, prayerfully engage with what had gone on. But straight away he's imparting, he's teaching, he's serving the people well. And at the end then of chapter 13, he goes back to his hometown of Nazareth. And again, another, end, and very, another difficult end to a chapter. 
where he's rejected in Nazareth. They don't accept him. They, they throw at him. You know, isn't this just the carpenter's son, Mary's son, that we've known for, we've known for years? Who is he to talk like this? Where did this man get all of these things? We know his family. We know his sisters and his brothers. So that, that is quite a, a, a personal rejection. These people knew Jesus. So you could, we can assume that there would be some that Jesus knew as well. Quite a personal rejection. And, and Jesus actually walks away. Jesus walks away. He meets their unbelief, their unfaithfulness and says, no, miracles won't be. God won't move here. God won't move here. It's something that when we think about boundaries as well, that Jesus is very good at. Yes, boundaries to take time for himself in terms of prayer and rest. But there are a number of occasions, two dozen really distinct occasions where Jesus does walk away. There's not a theme in the Bible of Jesus running up to people, chasing them down, grabbing them by the shoulders, screaming in their face, believe in me. There's a firm sense of boundaries, of situations and circumstances where Jesus does walk away and lay it down. So that then gets us to chapter 14, where we have the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on water. But before that, we read of John the Baptist, the messenger that came before Christ, the man that baptised Christ in the Jordan, the, the, the man actually who is Jesus' cousin, is executed. Herod beheads John, and John's disciples came and took John's body and buried it. And then they went and told Jesus. And then we read in verse 13, When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. And hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd... He had compassion on them and healed their sick. He takes himself away. He takes himself away. His cousin has just been executed. He's gone through quite a period of time of rejection and just familial relational difficulty. He takes himself away. The large crowds from multiple towns start to gather. And we read that he has compassion on them. And not just compassion, but he takes action. He has compassion on them and heals their sick. And then the large crowd gathered, gets hungry. The people are hungry. The disciples are telling Jesus, they give Jesus an out. Send them away. Send them to their villages so they can get food. But Jesus' reply, even in his grief and in his difficult time, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. The disciples gave him out, but Jesus, in his compassion, says they don't need to go away. They stake their right places here. You give them something to eat. And then we read the walking walking on water where again, there's, in verse 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead uh, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed them, he went up to the mountainside by himself to pray. Again, uh, boundaries. 
He knew that there needed to be time there. There needed, there was, okay, enough's enough. You know, I've, I've given out, but now immediately you go, you go. I'm praying. I'm with my father. I need to rest. But then straight again, we, we read the account of the walking on the water, the, faith, the initial faithfulness of Peter. Only Peter really gets out of the boat. Yes, Peter was faithful, fixed his eyes on Christ, gets scared. And immediately, again, the word immediately is used, Christ is there to reach out his hand and save him. And the end of chapter 14, just start, it starts up again. Jesus gets to a new place. They brought their sick to him, begged him just for people to touch him. And all who touched him were healed. So that I just hope that that just overview of the events that go in, those well-known accounts of feeding the 5,000 and walking on water, just the, I, as I reflected and prayed into this, just left in more awestruck wonder, especially of, of, of verse 14, when Christ, after hearing John, is executed. He has compassion on that crowd. He has compassion on that crowd. So what does that example teach us? Well, let's look at the let's look at the capacity for compassion, capacity for compassion for others. That response of Christ in verse 14 of chapter 14. When you read that, that is not natural. If you read that and think how how does he do that? I could I could never do that. You are 100% right. You could never do that. None of us could react in that way. That is, that is, honest, that is so unnatural. It, it has to be supernatural in terms of the power, to be, the power that he's, he, he, he has, the authority he has from Father God to react in that way. To react with, in, in, that, in that sense of grief to serve amidst his grief, to give out, to have compassion, not in our own strength, well within his rights. We wouldn't, we wouldn't bat an eyelid if that verse read that Jesus turned and, and, and spent more time on perhaps the mountainside to pray. We wouldn't bat an eyelid. That's a time when Christ needs to rest and set our boundaries. But no, we read a response of compassion for this great crowd that were there for more of him, to take more from him. And secondly, what is evident is that it's not just compassion that Jesus shows, it's compassion coupled with action. We don't just read that Jesus had compassion on the crowd and prayed for them. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. There is in tandem, in partnership, compassion coupled with action. Compassion deep enough not just to stir hearts, compassion deep enough not just to break a heart, but enough to stir uh, his hands and his mouth and his feet. That's that's a, a challenge. Compassion that leads to action. The Salvation Army has a well-known mantra of heart to God, hand to man. A heart stirred by compassion, filled with his love, 
that leads us to action, that moves our mouths, moves our feet, move our hands into action. My, my heart can break for a situation and think what a, what a terrible state, but how does that translate? How does that translate into our behaviours and our, and our decisions? Does our compassion, where needed, does our compassion lead us to action? Because the most, one of the most evident things that I've found just within my, my faith, my relationship with Christ, my, my reading of the Bible, is that God, the Son, Father and Holy Spirit, desires, expects even, our participation in this. This is an active faith, an active relationship. In his power, we do but what do, we, what do we bring? What is the action that we take? Does our compassion lead to action? And that's reflected in, in the direction that Christ gives to his disciples when feeding the 5,000. The people don't need to go. The people are hungry. They don't need to leave. And then what does he say? You give them something to eat. You Give them something to eat. You take action. You participate with this here. You give them something to eat. Now, I want to be really uh, clear in, in this. He directs the disciples, you give them something to eat. But it is in his power that what was given, what was brought those five loaves and two fishes, is in Christ's power, in the authority from Father God, that what was brought was sufficient, was actually more than sufficient. He directs them, you give them something to eat, and then by, he doesn't say it, but by his actions after, it is really, you give them something to eat, and in my power and in your faith in, in, my, in me and in my power, it will be more than sufficient. It will be bountiful. It will be plentiful. But he makes that direction. You give them something to eat. The people are hungry. They don't need to leave. They are in the right place. You give them something to eat. I think, yeah, let just dwell on, dwell on, let's dwell on that. You give them something to eat. The people are hungry. They are in the right place. They do not need to go anywhere. You give them something to eat. It, today, I, 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 I've got a real sense of conviction that, that the Lord is saying that today. The people are hungry. The people are hungry. I see it every time and anyone who's on the door doing welcome can see it with people peering in through the window, coming in through the door to stay for a few moments, having a coffee. There's a part of curiosity and intrigue of, of what's going on here on Chertsey High Street. They may not be able to put their finger in it, but there is a hunger. There is a hunger in people. When they think about at the school gates and in the high street and in Tesco. Is this all there is? They may not be able to put their finger on it. Some of you here may not be able to put your finger on it completely of 
what the world has to offer, relationally, family, career, materialism, whatever it may be, being temporary, never permanently in terms of satisfaction, contentment, that there is hunger, there is real hunger in the world today. And this morning, if that is you, whether for the first time actually thinking that it, it you know Jesus is is that something worth is that a relationship to explore to, to 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 be asking questions of or a hunger you're feeling an isolation at the moment or a, or a real just sense of apathy or just running on empty the people are hungry and they don't need to go away where you are right this morning is 100% the right place. You do not need to go away to look to be fed. You do not need to look in any other place. You do not need, there's no reason to leave here this morning in the same state of mind, in the same emotional state, in the same spiritual state than you came into an hour and a half ago. You are 100% in the right place. As Jesus said to that crowd, they do not need to go away. You do not need to go away. You are in the right place to be fed. But also, for those of you here today that you know are actually in a fairly sort of solid, well-fed place at the moment, Jesus is saying, go feed my people. You feed them in my power, but you feed them. And you may look and think about what you have to give in terms of your gifting or capacity, what you have to offer, and it be, well, it's no more than those two fishes and five loaves. And that is, to an extent, all it will be unless we engage Christ in this and, and engage in his power and authority. But there is a real directive there of you feed my people, of Christ saying you are in my power prepared. You are well placed. You are equipped. You are the person for this. You are the people for this. What you have is more than sufficient. It is bountiful. It is plentiful. Go feed my people. Go feed them. So, Nathan, you know, did pray about being living, faith, and active in this, and it's not something that we we don't do this a lot, but I do. Yeah, let's go for it. I want to invite boldness and faithfulness into everyone here. If you're sitting there and it's resonating, whatever for whatever reason around hunger, around being a need to be fed, not wanting to leave today in the same place that you entered. 
If you feel there is a need to get fed, then I invite you. I do invite you. It's, it's bold, but it's putting faith in action. I invite you. There's space at the front. I invite you to come to the front now and allow people to pray for you. I invite you now. If you feel there's a, uh, in you to be fed, you are hungry, and there is acknowledgement and acceptance that right now you are in the right place. You don't need to look anywhere else. You don't need to think of anywhere else. It's, it's here. Christ is here. Father God is ready and, and willing, more than willing to meet with you. So I invite boldness and faithfulness. Come forward now if you really have a sense of being fed before you leave here today. Don't leave here today with an empty stomach, with, an empty, with a half-empty spirit. Come forward now if you would like to be fed.